I'm not sure this morning if you're expecting uh, maybe a Christmas message or a New Year's message. Maybe Christmas is old stuff at this point. I hope not. Uh, just a couple of days ago, and I hope we think about the Christmas theme all year long, really. And I'm not real big into New Year's resolutions. Probably if you were, uh, 2020 probably solved that problem for you. Um, A lot of things changed and happened that we weren't expecting. But the message this morning is a little bit of a combination between maybe what you might think about a New Year's message and a Christmas message put together. I think you'll understand that as we go along. So I'll ask a few questions to start with. And in the back of your mind, think about, did Jesus have... Uh, you might say a, a single goal or an ambition or a mission when he came to earth in life. And did he get sidetracked along the way with other things? And then I'll ask you this question, and I've had to ask myself as I've thought about this message. What's your biggest goal or ambition in life? Now, if I were to pass the mic around today, the, the nice thing to say would be, well, my biggest ambition is to be a good father, or a good mother, or a good grandparent, and serve the Lord with my whole heart, and all and on and on and on. And I would hope that is your biggest goal and ambition in life. But if you'd like to know for sure, there's some things you could maybe put upside your, your ideas there and see what really stirs you? What, what, are you really, what really gets you motivated? What do you spend most of your time doing and thinking about? Now, I realize we all have jobs, or we, so we all have jobs. A lot of us have jobs or have families. You have things you have to do, so you can't just spend your entire day in front of your Bible and on your knees. Could you spend more of it, though, might be a question. So what really do you spend your time And your energy and your resources that you have been entrusted with on. And why? And does that tell you something about what is really the biggest ambition in your life and your goal? You know... And I think as life go, as we go through life sometimes we have things, plans, and we make plans, and we do things, or we have goals and ambitions, and that's okay. We're here. We're living here in the flesh. We have to survive and do things, but these earthly things, uh, maybe as we get a little older, we begin to see that they don't always pan out like we'd like. You know, I heard somebody just the other day bring up that old uh, little saying that you've often heard, you know, people encouraged when they're young, you know, shoot for the stars, you know, if if you miss and land on the moon, that's not so bad, you know. And I, the person said that, heard him saying that, and I thought, you know, maybe, I don't know if any of you can relate to this, but, you know, I tend to sometimes in life shoot for the stars and end up somewhere maybe in a little north of Goshen or something. You know, it's nothing wrong with anything north of Goshen as far as I know, but it's a long ways from the stars or the moon. And so that sometimes happens with earthly ambitions. We... We shoot for the big things, and then if it doesn't work out, we become disillusioned and frustrated and so forth. And, and why is that? 
Well, turn with me to Luke. I'm going to look at a number of scriptures this morning. I'd like if you would turn there and read along with me. And, and uh, As we read through these scriptures, or as I read through them and you follow along in your Bibles, um, think about, and, and Dwayne had really good devotions here that really was a good introduction to the message in thinking about Jesus and leaving heaven and coming here in this earthly body, can we see that Jesus had a focus and a goal? And what were some of the things that happened in his life that went along with it? And so, I just want to read Luke chapter 2, <clears throat> starting at verse 1. Probably some of you have already read this passage this week, or maybe within the last couple of weeks, thinking about Christmas. So Luke chapter 2, verse 1, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. An angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, good will toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. They came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that had, they had heard and seen, as it was told unto them. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcising of the child, his name was called Jesus, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb. When the days of his purification, according to the law of Moses, were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said 
Lo, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have, been, have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. And Simeon blessed them, and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel. And for a sign which shall be spoken against, yea, a sword shall pierce thy, through thy own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, a daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about four score and four years which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And she, coming in an instant, gave thanks likewise unto the Lord, and spake to him, to all them, and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Israel, in Jerusalem. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city Nazareth. And the child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. As Dwayne mentioned in his devotion, here is the Son of God, comes down, and God reveals to just a few people who this is. Of course, to his parents, they know this is not a normal child. They had been visited by angels and told what was going to happen. And then there are some shepherds, not the kind of people that generally get the latest news about a king. And they're informed about Jesus. And then there's these two older people here in the temple. And I, you parents that have young children, I don't know what you would do if you'd come to church and you bring your child to church eight days old or whatever, and some old guy grabs them and holds them up and starts praising the Lord. You'd, I don't know what you'd think. You'd probably say, hey, give me my child back. Uh, I don't know what you'd do. But Mary kept all these things, and, pondered, and, and he said something to her that I wonder if... Through the years, she was trying to figure out what did he mean when he talked about a sword piercing through her own soul also. How? Why? This is the Messiah. Why? What's, what's going to happen here? And so here is the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, coming down as this little baby and sets out in life with a purpose and a goal. And... I don't know if you realize it or not, but the Scripture tells us, we'll look at this passage later, but the Scripture, Jesus says specifically why he was born. And I don't know if you know the setting of that, but we'll look at that later. He says why he was born into the world. Well, let's go on here in Luke, and we'll see one of the, Jesus basically beginning to proclaim his purpose so we'll continue reading, verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. I don't know, are there any 12-year-old boys here this morning? Any boys that are 12 years old? There's one back there, yeah. I don't think your parents would like it very much if you didn't go back with them sometime for a day or two or three. Um, 
That's not a very old boy. Yet, I, I don't, I know you, you feel older maybe, but it's pretty young to just be, stay back in town and let your parents leave and go somewhere. Jesus did that. There was a reason for it. And so, it says, And when the days had fulfilled, in verse 43, And when they had fulfilled the days as they returned, a child Jesus tarried behind in Jerusalem. And Joseph and his mother knew not of it. But they, supposing him to have been in the company, went a day's journey, and they sought him among their kinfolk and acquaintance. When they found him not, they turned back again to Jerusalem, seeking him. And it came to pass that after three days they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the doctors or the the teachers there, both hearing them and asking them questions. And all that heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. When they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him, Son, Why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? They understood not the saying which he spake unto them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with man." If they understood anything about Jesus here being the, the Messiah and having lost him in Jerusalem, uh, I can imagine the, the fear that they had or the, 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 just the anxiety. Where is this boy? When they find him, he says that he's about his father's business. Now, some of your Bibles, depending if you have a parallel Bible or a slightly different translation, it might say, when they asked him what he was doing, that he said, don't you know that I need to be in my father's house? Which would have been there in the temple. What's interesting about that passage, in, uh, in the Greek it says this, and it's, of course it's worded a little bit different. It's like trying to translate English into Dutch or vice versa or something. It words a little different, but it basically says literally, In thee of my Father, it is necessary for me to be. In the what? I understand in the Greek that that it's not there. The word isn't there. It's missing. And so you look at it in its context, and you say, well, in its context, in the temple, that's where he's at. So I must be in my Father's house. But the one word in the Greek is plural. So if translated that way, technically it should be in my father's houses, which doesn't make a lot of sense either. Maybe this is one reason Joseph and Mary couldn't understand what he was talking about. I'm not sure. But I think it does come back to this, that he was about his father's, literally could mean his father's things, his father's stuff. The things of his father. Don't you know I must be about the things of my father? And they couldn't quite understand it. That was the first thing that he talks about that we have record of. I need to be about the things of my father. That was a goal that he 
set out. Now, that doesn't, that's not the passage I'm talking about where he specifically mentions why he was born. My question for each of us this morning is, do we know what the Father's things are, and are we about doing that and getting that accomplished? Or are we a little more like maybe some translations where it says, I must be in my Father's house, and we look at the church somehow as God's house, and so, uh, which we incidentally are His tabernacle. But we look at this, well, I must be in my Father's house, and as long as I'm here on Sunday, I'm doing His business. It goes beyond that. I must be about my Father's things. My father's business, my father's, and I must prepare a house for the Lord as well. Now, as he starts off in life, it's interesting, and we can stay here in Luke and look at a couple other things. We jump over to chapter 3 and look at verses 21 and 22, and it's, it's a little hard to understand why, why this was necessary, but it was. Now, when all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also, being baptized and praying, the heaven was open, the Holy Ghost descended in bodily shape like a dove upon him, and a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. It's part of his, one of the things in life he did to fulfill his father's business, to fulfill all righteousness, one of the gospel says. Now if you go over to chapter 4, and I'll just read the first three verses here. It says, And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Being forty days tempted of the devil, and in those days he did eat nothing, and when they were ended, afterwards was a hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, And then he begins to really tempt him. And in Hebrews it says, For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Jesus came, and one of the things that he fulfilled in his plan, in his purpose in life, to meet the goal that he was coming here for, was to be tempted in all points like we are. And yet he was perfect. He never sinned. Why? So he could understand what we go through. And in that, he sinned not. He never sinned. If we go on in chapter in chapter 4, and we go to... Uh, Verse 16, and it says, and, it came to, and he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. So I don't believe that the only thing he's talking about here when it says as his custom was, was simply to go to the synagogue. It looks as though his custom was to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath and to help read the scriptures, help read from the scrolls. And that's what he did. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, or the scroll, he found the place where it is written. And this is what he read. 
The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and a recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he stopped. He did not continue on with, and the day of the vengeance of our God, which is in Isaiah. He didn't say that part then. There's coming a time when I believe he will fulfill that part of the prophecy as well. But he came here, and in his plan, and in his goal, setting his goal, and setting his face toward that goal, he did some proclaiming, and right here he made it very clear, I'm the one. And you can see that as you go on, it says, And he closed the book, and he gave it again unto the minister, and sat down, and the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. He was proclaiming who he was. Now he could have just kind of tried to slip through and not made too many waves. You know, I don't want people to know who I am. You know, I get get persecuted too much if I do that. And we can do that in life. You know, we've got, okay, yes, I, I want, you know, maybe... You know, you're saying, you know what, it's a good idea. I'm going to change, and my main goal in life is to to be in the kingdom of God and serving the kingdom and and doing whatever I can. But I'm not going to say too much to people because I I don't want to get too much flack about it. Jesus, early on in his ministry, said, this is who I am. I am this person. And I don't think the people around him forgot it very quickly. Now, if you go to this kind of same setting in his life, uh, after the temptation and so forth, you go to Matthew, and then you see Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus began to teach, and Jesus did a lot of teaching in his life. He he taught in parables because he, he wasn't... He didn't come for the, the wise, we sang that in a song, you know, for the wise and the lofty and all those. Um, he spake in ways they couldn't quite understand, and he explained the parables to those who really cared and those that really wanted to know and understand. He also taught um, a higher standard than had been taught before. And he had also taught repentance, that the kingdom of heaven was at hand. And if you go to John, you can see here in John an example of his trying to help people understand that the, the, this was about the heart. Turn to John chapter 8. We're not going to read the whole story, but I want to just look at a few verses here in John chapter 8. I think I'll read verses 3 through the first part of verse 6. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. Well, then... 
you're a Bible reader, you know the story. He went on, he wrote some things on the ground, and pretty soon people started walking away. And his words to her were, go and sin no more. Neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. But the idea was he was teaching a higher standard than what had been taught before. They would have said, well, take her out and stone her. She, she failed. She disobeyed the law. That's the rule. Take her out and stone her. And Jesus is saying, wait a minute, what, what about you? Where are you at? What's going on? And uh, Probably one of the greatest mysteries of Christendom through the years and speculation has been, what did he write when he wrote on the ground? What did he write? And we have all kinds of ideas, but we don't know. That's the bottom line. We just don't know what he wrote there. But it came from the finger of God, and it fulfilled its purpose. We know that. Well, Jesus went about doing miracles and healings, and we could look at a lot of passages. Uh, You can think of many of them, walking on water, calming the storm, uh, healing the the lepers, uh, on and on and on, miracles, feeding the 5,000, the 4,000, on and on and on. He did all these things. But it was all part of his face set toward his goal. He also did some correcting. Matthew 23 is a good example of that. Matthew 23, over and over and over and over, he says, he calls, talks about scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites. Scribes, Pharisees, hypocrites, over and over and over. And he teaches them and he shows them what they're doing wrong and how they're doing it incorrectly. And, and so part of his mission here on this earth was to correct. And often it was those who thought they knew everything. And thought they had it all together. The Bible says he came to bring division. Division? Yeah, between right and wrong. Light, dark. Set people even in their own homes against each other if you're not willing to give everything to follow me. He came to make disciples. And he did that. He chose certain ones and had many other followers and disciples. But he also came to bring peace and reconciliation. And in his goal in life, fulfilling his goal, and I mentioned this earlier, came persecution. Turn to John chapter 7. If your main goal in life is to do what God has called you to do in His kingdom, you're probably going to come up against some opposition somewhere along the way. You probably will. Now, you can come up against opposition for doing the wrong things too. It's a good thing if you do. But Jesus came up against opposition, but it didn't stop Him. In John chapter 7, verse 30, It says, Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. Over in chapter 8, verse 20, it says, These words spake Jesus in the treasury, as he taught in the temple, and no man laid hands on him, for his hour was not yet come. But they wanted to, 
You better believe they wanted to, because if you go over into chapter or into verse 58 and 59 of this same chapter, chapter 8, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Again, he's proclaiming who he was. In verse 59 it says, And they took up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Incidentally, it's interesting how many times they would have liked to have killed him. When they brought that woman that was accused, they said, well, we're supposed to stone her. Here they picked up stones. They were going to kill him. But they told Pilate, our law doesn't allow us to kill anyone. And then a short time later, they stoned Stephen to death. But it does say that it was to fulfill what Jesus said of how he would die. And it was the Old Testament prophecies as well. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. Jesus came to forgive sins as well. Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 to 8. And he entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of palsy, lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said unto unto the sick of palsy, Son, be of good cheer. Thy sins be forgiven thee. And behold, certain of the scribes within themselves um, said within themselves, This man blasphemeth. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Wherefore think ye evil in your hearts? For whether is it easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk? But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Then saith he to the sick of palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go thy own way, to thine own house. And he arose and departed to his house. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. John 8 says, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins if you believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Jesus came to forgive sins. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Well, turn with me now to John chapter 12. All of these things in his life were part of his reason for coming to earth. They all fit into the picture. They weren't just random things that he did along the way, waiting until it was time to die. But I'm afraid sometimes that's kind of how it is for us. We go through life and we just do random things here and there and our focus isn't very clear that we are here in this life to be a part of His kingdom, serving Him and doing the things of the kingdom. Well, Jesus wasn't doing these things just randomly. They all had a reason and a cause to show who He was and to bless people and to just to fit into his entire mission. In John chapter 12, I'd like to start reading at verse 20. 
And this is kind of an interesting passage. If you look at what happens and then what he says. And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came therefore to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee, and desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. They wanted to meet him. Philip cometh and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. So Jesus is aware of this. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. And where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then there came a voice from heaven saying, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And then the people around heard it. But somebody comes and says, hey, there's some Greeks here. They'd like to see you. They'd like to meet you. And then he talks about his death. But in that, he does say that if you are going to serve me, if you really want to serve me, you will be with me. And you're going to be a part of all of this. And I don't know if he was discerning the fact that these people just wanted to see him, to see who he was, and didn't really want to serve him. And can we fall into that trap? We kind of want to know who Jesus is. We want to, yeah, we want to be around this Jesus somehow. We want to, we want to be called a Christian. But are we willing to really be with him and serve him? And in this context, he's talking about, look, for this cause came I in. He says, now is my soul troubled, in verse 27. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. And he's talking about his death. Go over to chapter 18. And now his hour has come, and he has been delivered unto the authorities. And starting at verse 28, it says, Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas's hall, or Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early. And they themselves went not in unto the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled, that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out unto them and said, What accusation bring you against this man? Then answered and said, Then answered and said unto him, If they answered and said unto him, Sorry, if he were not a malefactor, we would not have delivered him up unto thee. Then said Pilate unto them, Take ye him and judge him according to your law. The Jews therefore said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spake, signifying what death he should die. Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again, and called Jesus, and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? 
Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it thee of me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priest have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born. And for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. And then, of course, Pilate asked that question, what is truth? For this cause, for this reason, I was born. I'd like to read verse 37 in the Amplified. Pilate said to him, then you are a king? Jesus answered, you say it. You speak correctly, for I am a king. Certainly I am a king. This is why I was born. And for this I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, who is a friend of the truth, who belongs to the truth, hears and listens to my voice. This is why he was born. He says it specifically. He says, To this end was I born. He was a king. But his kingdom was not of this world. And if you look at where, where he's saying this, when he's saying it, to whom he is saying it, it's very clear that the reason he was born was to come and to bear witness to the truth and to die for our sins, to redeem people back to God. This is why I was born. This To this end, right here, I have come, I was born to die on the cross and to bear witness to truth. Too many people today ask the question, just like Pilate did, what is truth? Truth is a thing today that people don't want to accept. And it has even permeated Christianity. Well, how do we know it's truth? What is truth? What's really true? What isn't true? Whatever. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. And how is that done? Through the cross of Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus was born. Dwayne mentioned, I think, in his devotions that, you know, people all over the world celebrate Christmas. But how many celebrate why he really came? Well, the fact is, he also rose again. Romans says, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. And because he rose again, he's coming again. When he came the first time, he had a purpose. He had a goal. 
He had a mission. And everything that he did in life focused was in that focus of why he came. He didn't get sidetracked. He didn't get off track. When he comes again, he's going to be no less focused than he was the first time. He's coming again for the very reasons that he has set forth, and you can see it in the Scriptures. The question is, for me and for each of us, how focused are we, and will will we be ready for his coming? And I can tell you this much about our focus, whether it's me, whether it's you, whoever it might be, in this life, you will tend to move in the direction of your focus. You go out hunting if you're a hunter, or you just like shoot whatever, bow and arrow, gun, whatever, and you aim at something and you pull the trigger, the bullet will go in the direction of the aim. And that's how life is. What our focus is, what our direction is, that's where we will head. And will our focus, our ambitions, our goals in this life, whether it's 2021 or 2031 or for some of the real young ones here that uh, the Lord doesn't come back before then, maybe 20, I don't know, 90 years from now, 100 years from now, maybe they'll live to be, there might be some little ones here, live to be 100 years old, I don't know. What will our focus be? What is our goal? What is our ambition? And how will that help us be ready for when he comes again? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for coming to this earth to die for us. That that was your reason for coming. Because you are the king of kings and lord of lords. And Lord, I just pray that you would help me and each one here to really be a part of that kingdom in this life and in the one to come, that we could help others be a part of that kingdom, that we could keep each other focused in this life. Give us wisdom in that, Lord. We want to praise you for what you have done. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.